Blog Talk Radio. Work. 
Welcome to Minnesota Sports Weekly. I had a little bit of technical difficulty, but we're back on the air. Uh, I apologize for not being prompt, but sometimes you can't help it. Um, In about four minutes, uh, I will be bringing on uh, Corey Provis, the radio voice of the Twins, and also a basketball announcer for BTN. And uh, we'll talk a little bit of both. And uh, so, yeah. um, So hold on, and I'll be right back in four minutes.
Hello. Hi, Corey. This is Travis Oni from Minnesota Sports. Hey, man. Weekly. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, how are you uh, able to keep track of every, all your duties from being the radio host of the Twins to doing BTN games? You have to be uh, crazy busy. Yeah, busy. I'm in uh, I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska. Just got here. I have a game tomorrow night. Back on Sunday. And uh, I got about five or six more games. I believe the little spring training games. And I'm going to come home, do a few more basketball games, and uh, head back to Fort Myers for good around March 8th. So go um, back and forth here a little bit, but uh, it's fun. It's fun. Um, I, I, want, I wanted to get your thoughts quick. Uh, before we get to the Twins on uh, what your thoughts on the the Minnesota Golden Gophers uh, in their Big Ten men's basketball team has been. It's been up and down for the Gophers, but uh, what's your as an unbiased Announcer, what what's your thoughts on on what they've done so far this year? Well, I mean, I think that I give uh, I give Coach Patino a ton of credit because he scheduled a really challenging slate for the guys, um, both in terms of from a conference play. There's not much they can do about that. And a few games, you know, are, are predetermined, you know, like the Big Ten ACC Challenge and the Gavit games, but. I, I applaud, you know, what he did to schedule uh, the, the non-conference teams that he did because I think the guys are going to be better for it. And also, if you look at their record, they're, what, I think 11-10 and 10 now after losing uh, the other night to Illinois. They're, they're still on the bubble. And I don't know how many teams in the country that have 10 losses and are a game above 500 are, at, at minimum, a, a bubble team. So I, I think that their schedule kind of is reflective uh, and their record is reflective based on their schedule. I think they've got two really good scorers right now. They've got O'Toole and they've got Carr. Uh, the guy that, that has to pick it up here is Gabe Kalstrom. He's too good of a shooter, but he's been mired in, in a long shooting slump, um, especially in conference play. He's shooting in the teens uh, in, in Big Ten play this year from beyond the arc. So, um, you know, they still have some really tough games coming up, so um, their net ranking hasn't taken a big hit, even though they've dropped uh, the last couple of games because they're playing such good teams and they're playing on the road. It's about protecting your home court, and uh, they, they suffered a home loss to Michigan State. doesn't hurt you. The DePaul loss doesn't hurt you. Uh, but, you know, Wisconsin is, uh, is coming to the barn on Wednesday night, and uh, I'm going to be there for that, which should be great. And that's the next challenge for them is that uh, they can't just hang their heads on these losses because there's so many good games that, that remain on their schedule and games that will, will certainly, you know, boost their NCAA tournament uh, possibility. Yeah. I was, I was thinking they, they had that big win at Ohio state and, and then they lost a couple in a row. So it, how good is the Big Ten this year in your in your estimation? Yeah, I've asked some coaches that question, and and they say it's like this every year, and I don't know if I buy that. I, I don't know because I know in past years there, there's been a dominant team or two that there, there's been like 
an upper tier where there's there's been Michigan State or there's been Maryland, and and then everybody else is maybe in the in the second pack, and then there are teams. Five. I, I think you can really. I think it's there's 12 teams that are really good, and then there are two teams that are struggling. I mean, Nebraska, Northwestern are clearly, you know, the worst teams in the Big Ten. That's that's why, like the game I have Saturday night, you know, Penn State, they're they're tracking for the tournament right now, but. You know, winning at Nebraska is not easy. Uh, ask Purdue. I mean, ask Iowa. I mean, winning at, at Nebraska is not easy, but a loss like that, you know, really hurts your 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 resume. And that's the challenge facing Penn State on Saturday night. But I, I, I just think it's wide open. I mean, I, I think Illinois can win the Big Ten this year. I think Michigan State can win the Big Ten this year. I think Iowa. I think Fran McCaffrey's done a great job with Iowa. And Mark Turgeon always has a good team in Maryland. Um, but the team that and Rutgers, I can't you can't sleep on Rutgers either. I've got uh, Illinois at Rutgers coming up in a couple of weeks, and when I got that my, my I got my schedule in October, I saw that game and I said, all right, that's that's okay, but will it be anything great? And at the time, I didn't think anything of it, but now that's looking like a blockbuster game uh, coming mm-hmm. up in mid February when uh, when Illinois goes to Rutgers. Um, what? Uh... A team that I, I wanted to ask you about because they're always in the mix, and this year they're kind of up and down, and, and that's uh, Wisconsin. Well, Wisconsin's got a little turmoil going right now with uh, with Kobe King just leaving the team now, which was pretty odd. A starter, good scorer. And so they're dealing with that, and then Brad Davison suspended for – the game this weekend against Michigan State, but he should be back and, and ready to play against the Gophers on Wednesday. Uh, they've they've got some things going on internally that they that they need to figure out. Now is all this is all this going to rally them? We'll see. I mean, they're going to be down two really good players uh, against Michigan State on Saturday, so it's it just increases the the productivity they need from Micah Potter and Nate Weavers and Demetra Trice and those guys. But Wisconsin right now. Um, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're, they're also a kind of a bubble tournament team. They have some really good wins. You know, the Maryland win is really good at home. They have some good non-conference wins as well. Uh, but it's, it, that's how it is in the big 10 right now. I think, I think there's more, I think there's more on the line for, for Minnesota on Wednesday than there is for Wisconsin. But, you know, first Wisconsin has to get through Michigan state really shorthanded. And, uh, this Kobe King thing that I, I just it's one thing if if he finished the season then decided to transfer or even in December but the transfer now was just the, the timing just seems really really odd I don't get more out of it than than what we what we've learned so far but that's they're an interesting team because of what's what's happening at this odd time and uh, the Davis's suspension and then the, the King transfer is just uh, odd to, odd to see that and hear about that at this point of the year uh, last question about the uh, about your basketball uh, responsibilities. Who is uh, the leading candidates for uh, Big Ten Player of the Year? I think uh, right now it's down. I think there. I think it's down to two guys, um, and I think it's either Cassius Winston or Luca Garza. Uh, Oturu, I still. It's certainly in the conversation. Daniel Oturu, I think, is certainly in the conversation, but I. I just think that Luca Garza and Cassius Winston right now have separated themselves a little bit from Daniel and others. 
when you look across the, the conference. I mean, Luka Garza has been amazing. He has been so good. His scoring is up significantly from last year. Uh, he's been a big part of what uh, what's working so well for for Iowa. And then Cassius Winston, you know, losing his brother earlier in the year, um, you know, just just crushing, crushing to see that and hear about that. But he's so good. He's so steady. Uh, just one of my favorite players to watch in college basketball is Cassius Winston. So I think it's those two guys. And we'll have to find out. We'll have to find out you know, how the rest of the season plays out because that award is not yet decided. But if you're asking me, I, 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 three guys I think are in the discussion with, with Daniel Oturu still in that mix. But right now I think that Garza and Winston might be just ahead of him in that conversation. Um, a follow-up to that, uh, how difficult is it to balance your radio responsibilities with your TV responsibilities? Is, is, is it difficult going from well, they don't. Calling, calling a basketball game and then going down to Fort Myers and doing some twin stuff? That's a good question. Uh, when when I get down to Fort Myers, that'll be the first time that the, the two mediums do kind of intertwine because normally it's been separate that, you know, twins – that's all radio, and then I don't really have, you know, television conflicts or television opportunities while that's going on. So I don't really know. I, I, I What I like about television, doing it in the wintertime, it's a whole different challenge. It's obviously a different medium. But I like the fact that, you know, forget the Gophers, because enough, they're, you know, Minnesota Gopher fans know who I am and they know of, of my name and of my work in baseball. And that's one mm-hmm. thing but to go into a market where they don't know me uh, to do, um, you know, a, a USC Cal football game or a Washington, Oregon state football game, or, a, you know, a Kansas, Kansas state football game, or now basketball with Penn state, Nebraska, or, uh, you know, Rutgers and, you know, Maryland, what have you that, that these fans, they don't know me. They have no idea who I am and, and what I do what my primary job is. So to be able to to try and win them over, that's the goal, is to try and win them over, that I've done my homework, I've done my research, and that, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to do this game and do it to the best of my ability. I don't care who wins, but I want to be knowledgeable and up-to-date and all the storylines and, and facts and all that, that that goes into it. That's the fun part for me, is that I have to prove myself to a fan base that doesn't know and doesn't really care about uh, what I do in the summertime when it comes to baseball. So that's that's the fun part. That's the challenge that I that I get. And I also just like it's different. It's different. You know, it's television. You have to broadcast in a different way. You're broadcasting what you're, you know, seeing on the screen. Radio, you're just you're painting your own picture and you get to talk about what you want. Or TV, you're relying on a team of people to to make it work. Uh, your analyst, your mm-hmm. producer, director, your audio, your graphics. It's it's a collective effort that makes a good television broadcast. And that, that's, that's part of it. And that's part of the challenge and part of the fun when you have a good call, when you have a good game. It was a really unified team effort from those that you saw on the air, but then also those, the men and women you didn't see, but made it happen inside the truck. Well, I have to say you do an excellent job with that. And uh, it's uh, a pleasure to listen to your, to uh, do play-by-play for for those games. So, well, thank you. Thank you. Fun. Thank thank you for doing such a good job.
Okay. Um, now on to the twins. Uh, what was your initial impression when you heard that the twins had signed Josh Donaldson? Well, let's go back to let's go back in time when um, when I when I first saw you know the rumors and I read the rumors that this was a possibility and I. And look, I'm not going to lie to you and say that. Oh, I, I knew all along that the Twins were going to get him. It was it was cool. And I thought, I'm like, all right. But at the end of the day, I, I thought my gut was telling me that he was going back to Atlanta. You know, he had a great run in Atlanta last year, and he was a good one-two punch with Freeman, and and not just Freeman, but that awesome team with uh, with Albies and Acuna and Swanson and all that pitching that they have. I just thought it was a good fit for him. Uh, I was I was optimistic, and I would love to tell you that I, I knew all along. But uh, you know, I followed the stories, but then I saw the story in the Athletic that it seemed like they were they were falling out of the mix. And I said, okay, you know, they made an effort. Now they'll go to something else. But then when I when I saw that story, when I finally saw the news that that they got him, I just I had this jolt of adrenaline, a jolt of excitement, and I think for the first time. You know, maybe in, in this is my ninth, entering my ninth season now, where I'd always ask myself, okay, the Twins made a move. Now, is that a move that moves the needle? Is that a move that will will force? Say, I was into this, but say I would, I, I run to the store and buy a jersey. Would I buy a season ticket? And I try to think back on on moves and trades, and I couldn't really come up with one until now. I, I think the Donaldson move uh, is a significant significant sign it's a big big move and i'm not sure if you had a chance to be a twins fest or not last weekend but if if you got a chance to see the coverage or hear the coverage or be there for it i think that fans felt the same way this was a big step like this was something they they had not seen in a long time to sign to acquire to just get a hold of an impactful player uh that josh donaldson is and nelson cruz you can say what about nelly but you know, he was going to be 40 years old. We didn't know what kind of year he was going to have. And, you know, he, he blew us all away with, with the season that he had. But I, I think everybody liked the signing. But I don't know if that drove people to the to the team store to buy, you know, a Nelson Cruz jersey. But this was the kind of move that I, I think was going to move people to do just that, to buy a Donaldson jersey. Um, so I, mm-hmm. it was a big, big move. And then reading all about, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff and the phone call and how, how cool Miguel Sano was with it and how for it he was. And, and uh, you know, Donaldson asking, what does this mean for Miguel? And it just seemed to be a really, you know, collaborative effort to get this deal done. And I, I'm thrilled. I mean, it's uh, I started writing out lineups myself and kind of picturing what the lineup <laughs> may be, and it's it's a fun thing to do. Um, what What's your thoughts on Miguel Sano moving over to first base? I think it's going to be a challenge. I think it's, I'm not saying, I don't think it's going to be seamless. I don't think it's going to be without, you know, uh, moments where you're going to, you're going to see errors. It's it's, that the twins last year, they had a lot of good things going for them, but one weakness, and it wasn't this one, but I think the one that really stood out and I think came back to bite them too in the playoffs was that their infield defense was not great. Um, And CJ Crone, uh, despite that sore thumb, you know, he was really good at, at picking, you know, short throws. And Polanco will do that from time to time. 
So it's going to be a challenge. I mean, Donaldson's going to fire him in hard, and they're going to come in low. And Polanco's going to still do it, moving over in the hole. And Luis eyes, his range is going to be tested. And so with that, you know, Miguel Sano's glove is going to be tested too. So um, yeah, that that's a, it's a it's a fair question, but one that we're going to have to see play out. Now, you know, Joe Maurer, natural gifted athlete, but he worked at it. I mean, he really, really worked at it. And he was certainly, I, I thought, Rob, not of the gold glove, but I think he should have been a finalist. I don't know how he wasn't a finalist, at least in 2017. Mm-hmm. He had a really good defensive season, his second to last year. But he did that because he worked really hard at it with, with Tom Kelly and the coaching staff and other people to become a really good first baseman. And I, I think it's up to Miguel Sano to follow that same that same plan, that same path. And I think he'll be challenged to do it because, you know, he doesn't want to let anybody down. And the Twins signed him to a long-term contract. They view him as a, as a key cog here now, and he's making a lot of money. And he is understanding that the Donaldson signing meant that I'm now going to be a primary first baseman. So it's up to him uh, to do that, because if not, then you're going to probably see Marlon Gonzalez play a lot of first base. And who knows where that is going to leave Miguel. So I think it's Miguel right now. He's going to be the first baseman. He's going to get all the reps for the time being, but when he has to get a day or two here and there, then I think you'll see Marwin at first. Um, uh, what's your thoughts on the pitching? I mean, I, look, I thought that the plan going into the offseason, you know, forget Donaldson, I thought that the plan was going to be impactful starting pitching, and I think they had some ideas, and they went after Wheeler, and, you know, how aggressive they were with Ryu and Bumgarner, I, you know, who knows. But they, they certainly made a run at Wheeler, and it didn't happen. And I think that then they, they took on the approach, all right, well, we missed out on this guy, but let's see if we can get Rizzi back, and that worked out. He took the qualifying offer. And I think Michael Pineda took maybe uh, somewhat of a hometown discount after he let a lot of people down um, with the way that his 2019 season ended. So to bring okay. back Odorizzi, to bring back Pineda, who were both really, you know, Pineda was good last year, and then Odorizzi was an all-star. He had a phenomenal year. And so it's, it's, it is what it is right now. It's not, you didn't see that sexy big name come over in the offseason, at least as we chat right now, either via trade or free agency. But I also think they like what they have in their system. I think they like that, you know, you know, Duran and, uh, you know, Balazovic and some of these young guys that, that we may see at some point this season. They didn't want to part ways, at least right now. They didn't want to part ways with those guys to acquire that starting pitcher. But, you know, the, the, the five, whoever the five are that are in camp with the team, and while, you know, Michael serves his suspension and Rich Hill is out until midsummer. You know, Homer Bailey's going to slot in probably the number three, and then we'll see competition. We'll see competition from Dobnak and Thorpe and Smeltzer uh, to kind of, you know, finish up the rotation. I know that they still really like Sean Poppin, who throws like 97, 98, a ton of movement on his on his fastball. So I'm, I don't think they're giving up on, on him either. So the, the group that you're going to see on March 26th, I don't think is the same group you'll see on August 1st. I, I think starting pitching is clearly going to be the area they look to improve upon uh, during the year and certainly leading up to the trade deadline. Okay. Uh, last question, and I'll let you go. Um, break down the AL Central for me, how you see that playing out. Well, I mean, I, I think uh, I think it's fair. The Twins are still the team to beat because of the reigning champs, and their lineup has 
arguably gotten better. Um, so I think that that's really good. I think we feel whole differently about the bullpen uh, today than we did a year ago at this time with how Duffy and May threw and how good Rogers was and Romo was great and you know Tyler Clipper was coming off a good year. Um, so I think we feel better about the bullpen. I think Bruce Gratterall is a great chance to be in that bullpen to start the year. So I think the Twins are, you know, are, the, are the team to beat. I love what the White Sox have done this offseason. I think they're going to be a player. I still think Cleveland is a really good team. And don't sleep on Cleveland. Yes, they traded Kluber, and yes, Bauer's not there uh, to start the year. But, boy, they still have great pitching. You know, Shane Beaver, awesome. Clevenger, awesome. Aaron Savalli is really good. And around the infield, still really good players. Their outfield, I think, is, 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 is the one area that doesn't blow you away. Uh, but, but Roberto Perez had a, had a breakout offensive season. He was also, I think he also won the gold glove for memory serves, uh, the Indians catcher. Yeah. So uh, with Lindor and Ramirez, Carlos Santana, um, you know, that, that's a really, they still have some really good players. And I'm not, I'm not ready to say the Indians are done, but I think the, the, the twins, White Sox, Indians, they're on a separate level. But I think the Royals, I think Whit Merrifield is one of the better all around players in the game. He's their leader. They're going to get Salvador Perez back, but their pitching is suspect. Uh, their bullpen is suspect. They had some nice seasons, Hunter Dozier, Jorge Soler. There, there's some nice, intriguing offensive pieces with that Royals team, and I have no idea how the pitching is going to work, both starting staff and bullpen. But, uh, you know, Whit Merrifield is a, is, a, is a fantastic player. And the Tigers are going to be bad. I mean, the Tigers are the team. That, you know, last year the Indians went 18-1. and against the Tigers. You think about that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you played 19 times in your division, and you went 18-1. and one. You know, I think teams are going to have to beat up. I think the Twins and Indians and White Sox, they're going to have to dominate, you know, the Tigers and the Royals. Um, I, I think that's the path. I mean, you know, hang in there against the other divisions and the other interleague play and all that, but when you play against the Royals and, and, and Tigers this summer, you cannot just – you can't split, you know, you can't have a four game series and go two and two. Um, but you have to have, especially that tiger team, you have to beat up on that tiger team and the twins played great in the division last year. And that was the path to the, uh, the division title. And I think that that same path is out there in 2020. All right, Corey, I want to thank you for making the time for me. It's always fun to get a chance to talk to you. Uh, with your schedule, it, it's challenging, but uh, thank you. I appreciate it, and uh, you have a good night. You too, Travis. Take care. Yep, you too. Bye. That was Corey Provis, the radio voice of the Minnesota Twins, and also the uh, play-by-play guy for uh, BTN. Does a lot of gopher games, so I wanted to get his thoughts on the gophers. Uh, our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is Chris Atterbury. Uh, he he's uh, does uh, the uh, the studio, and he does some Twins games, so it's, it's important to. Uh, get his perspective on the Twins. So uh, here's Chris Atterbury. My first question is, uh, what was your impressions of Twins Fest? Uh, I, I saw a few videos 
uh, of panels? How, how, how did you think it went? You know, it's always weird. It's a weird question because there's so much going on, and I see so little of it because I have my assignments. Um, so I can speak directly to kind of some of the people I got to meet and the general vibe, but I, I don't get to see a lot of the cool stuff. For instance, this year mm-hmm. in the home clubhouse, they had this amazing setup like by decade where you'd walk into like the 60s and it would look like a little apartment from the 60s decorated as such with the same TV. And, oh, by the way, Jim Cott's sitting on the couch and he talks to you for 10 minutes. And then you know, Rod Carew's in the 70s nook and so on and so forth. And um, I didn't get a chance to experience that, but I got to walk through it with Clyde after the fact and he showed me pictures. Uh, and apparently that was awesome. Similarly, there's the 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 the, the Bomba Land, and all I heard was the the strobe music and the explosions, and I saw a lot of smiling people come out of there, but I didn't get to actually experience. So I can't really speak to that. Uh, but I know that we saw a lot of people. I had the great pleasure uh, of closing both nights on the main stage. So on Friday I got to play like some game shows with the Mays, uh, Trevor and Kate, and then Mitch and Sarah Garver. And then probably the highlight for me was a, uh, a Pictionary game that I had with Michael Kadire and Tori Hunter uh, facing off against Jock Jones uh, and Justin Morneau and a full house watching them. And if you can't have fun playing Pictionary with those four guys, you're probably in the wrong business. So for me, it went great. Uh, but I can't speak for everybody else, but there certainly were a lot of people, and most of the ones I, I was talking to were smiling. That's excellent. Uh, yeah, uh, I got to see part of the Pictionary game. That that was exciting. Um, my my first question is, uh, what is your was your first impression when you heard that the Twins had signed Josh Donaldson? Uh, well, it came literally minutes after Miguel Sano walked out of my studio after signing his very reasonable extension. And the first thing I thought, honestly, was mentally the image of him in Oakland as a young third baseman where he made a play, where he went all the way across that vast expanse of foul territory, climbed up on the tarp and stole a foul ball for an out. That was the first thing I thought of um, because that play just is stuck in, in my mind. He's just one of very few players who were available this offseason who's a true needle mover. I know fans wanted Garrett Cole. Uh, who wouldn't? And I know they wanted Strasburg. Well, those guys weren't coming here. Bumgarner wasn't coming here. Um, Wheeler decided for family reasons he was going to stay in a different geographic location. And, and there weren't a lot of needle-moving guys left after that. One thing about Josh Donaldson, man, he moves the needle. And uh, I guess my, my major emotion was, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I also think that Josh gives us a an energy that's a little different than any we've had in our clubhouse in my 14 years. Um, our clubhouse last year was fantastic. Um, it was laid back, and it was it was probably the most connected clubhouse I've been around in a long time. There weren't really clicks in there, and it was really a, a it had a great feel from day one. But he gives you just a little edge, right? Where it's not always comfortable. There will be some flare-ups probably where he doesn't think maybe a teammate's playing hard enough or uh, or an opponent is doing things the right way. And I don't think that's always a terrible thing. Uh, the guy wants to win. I was really excited, and I think when you add in guys like Tyler Clippard, Rich Hill, Alex Avila, I think it's been um, a sneaky good offseason for the second consecutive year. 
Um, the question then becomes, do the Twins have pitching, starting pitching to make a run in the AL Central in your mind? Well, I, I definitely think they've got the pitching to make a run in the Central. I think you're foolish if you don't think this team can compete at the top of the division. They don't have the depth of starters and front-end starters that, that some other teams have around the game. But so much in the modern game is how you use the arms that you do have. Um, Michael Pineda was pitching at an incredibly high level. It gives you a whole different look before he self-sabotaged and sabotaged the team last year. He'll be back, and he'll be back with a fresh arm in, in mid-stride. Rich Hill is an elite guy in terms of missing bats. And everyone says, when he's healthy, when he's healthy. Well, we, the Twins don't need him to make 32 starts. They only need him to make 18 to 20. Uh, and I had a great conversation with Rich Hill, and he brings an experience and an approach and a grinder mentality that I think will, will lead to a lot of success here. So I, I do think they've added some things to their rotation that don't seem as sexy as a Strasburg or, or a Cole. Um, but you're looking at the pieces collectively that really can can make this a better rotation than it was last year. Um, a lot hinges on Odorizzi and Barrios um, because people forget for all the belly aching about the rotation. That's two all-star starting pitchers that you had last year, lest we forget. You know, not a lot of teams say, oh, yeah, two of our, two-fifths of our rotation was in the all-star game. Uh, and the Twins can say that. So uh, Jake had his best year. He needs to build on that, and I think Barrios needs to continue his ascent. But I think they put some pieces around those guys. And they've also backloaded the bullpen. When you look at uh, Clippard and what he can do, and Romo's back, and uh, Taylor and Tyler and Trevor, all the T's in the bullpen, um, Bruce Algratterall, what, what he possesses, I think you've got the opportunity to not lean as heavily on dominant starting pitching as historically we always think we need to. Um, could you see uh, Thad and Derek, um, making a move before the season, or do you think this is what what we're going to be looking at come opening day in, in Oakland? I'll answer this in reverse. Um, I think this is pretty much what we're going to be looking at come opening day in Oakland, but I don't think that Thad or Derek would shy away from making a move that can help this ball club now and moving forward at any point of the calendar. Um, they, they made the Odorizzi trade during spring training, if you remember. They signed Lance Lynn during mm-hmm. spring training. Now, one of those worked and the other really didn't. Uh, but if, if something's presented to them that makes the Twins better, uh, they're not going to worry too much about the calendar. Yes, they want to have the core guys together, but they're always open for business, and I think that's what makes them good at their job. Um, what – is is your uh, opinion of of the Twins' offense adding uh, Donaldson to an, a team that hit 307 home runs last year? How good can, can this offense be? Well, I guess I'm most interested to see how teams choose to attack the Twins because what they did last year didn't didn't work. Uh, I, I think Donaldson is. He's an elite offensive player. I think what he gives the lineup that it really missed wasn't his 37 home runs, though those are nice. It's his plate discipline and, and his 100 walks, right? Um, that's an on-base element that the Twins are not exactly robust in necessarily. 
They hit a lot of home runs, but they didn't exactly have a ton of guys who were, were taking a lot of walks. Now, the beauty of it is that sometimes you, you try to take too many walks and you miss out on the chance to do damage. And the philosophy with James and Rudy last year was if you get a pitch to do damage with, then, then take, your, take your whack at it. And, and that would keep you out of counts where you end up getting a free pass. So I'm not just solely on walk numbers alone. But his plate discipline, Donaldson's plate discipline is is a great addition. To me, the big marks uh, offensively, the biggest thing is Byron Buxton. A healthy Byron Buxton is a complete difference maker in how he plays the game, how he changes every single aspect of the game when he's healthy and in uniform. And if he's healthy for 162 games, uh, the offense is going to be so multifaceted that it could do historic things. The next level for me offensively, question-wise, is sophomore year for Luisa Rise. He has elite bat-to-ball skills. We've seen that. He's a guy who knows the strike zone. He plays well beyond his years. But he hasn't done it over a full major league season, and now the book is going to be out on him a little bit. So he's going to have some adjustments to make. I'm fully confident that he will remain a very good hitter, and I believe he will one day probably win a batting title. But it's not like you get to just pick up where you left off. And that moves me on to guys like Mitch Garver. Breakout year, silver slugger. I was so happy to see it for Mitch. But he doesn't just get to start at 25 home runs this year. He has to go all the way back to zero, just like everybody else, and now he's a marked man. People talk about, well, he's going to get more of the at-bats. They wasted those at-bats for Jason Castro, and he could have hit 40 home runs. Remember what they did with Castro and what they'll do with Avila is they put Mitch in this position to be more successful because the pitchers that he probably statistically and stylistically had a harder time with, he didn't have to face. They optimized his tremendous skill because Jason was the polar opposite in terms of the best pitchers that, that, that he had success against. So fewer bats actually led probably to better numbers for Mitch Garver as opposed to just saying, give them all 700 plate appearances. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see what he does. Max Kepler, what if he moves out of the leadoff spot? Does that change his approach? Um, so no, nothing is promised. You have to start from zero every year, but the talent is there. And because of veterans like Cruz and Donaldson who have been so consistent, uh, you have to think this is a lineup that's not going to be very fun to play against. Um, just a few more and I'll let you go. Uh, what do you think of uh, Miguel Fano playing first base? Do you think he'll be able to uh, pick that up and, and play uh, a solid first base? I do. I, th- I think there'll be some learning curve because first base is not as easy a position as everybody assumes. We've been spoiled, right? Going back to Kent Herbeck, who was phenomenal there. Mankiewicz was brilliant there. Morneau got really good. He wasn't when he started, but he turned himself into a plus defender. And Maurer was really good over there, too. And then Krohn was, was, was fairly solid. Miguel Sano has, has good hands, big hands. He's a competitive, prideful guy. He told me quite honestly, he goes, I don't care where I play as long as it's not DH. He doesn't want to DH. He loves being in the game on every pitch. He's a very social guy on the field. I mean, he's going to be a chatterbox. Other other hitters at first, they might need earmuffs by the end of the year because he will talk their ear off. Uh, I think he has the physical ability for a big guy. He has really good feet. Um, It takes his huge arm out of play a little bit, um, and, and so that's probably one of his great strengths defensively, and that's no longer a factor. But he's a prideful guy. He has good feet, and I think he can become a very good first baseman. Uh, I think that bigger than that, 
um, is the fact that Josh Donaldson is a really good third baseman. And if there was a weakness for this club last year, is that the defense honestly wasn't really that good. It's okay, um, but without Byron in the lineup, it, it really wasn't that good. Now you add an elite defender at third, which changes the entire makeup of the infield because Polanco and Arise, those aren't gold glove guys range-wise necessarily, but they're capable. And because of the work that Frankie Padua and the scouting guys do in terms of where they position them, and because Donaldson has sick range, they can now use those guys more effectively. And then if you get Byron back in the outfield, you've got plus, 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 infinity pluses defensively in center, and you've got a plus defender in right in max, and then you can hide Eddie a little bit, who's been a little up and down defensively. So uh, I think the defensive improvement of Donaldson adds uh, on the whole more than overcomes any inexperience that maybe you'll have over first. Um, last question. Uh, break down the AL Central for me. Uh, do you think the Indians and that they're still there, and then the White Sox spent some money this off season, and then you have the Royals and the Tigers. Uh, how would you break that down? Uh, well, we'll start from the bottom. The Tigers are in a complete rebuild. Uh, this year, hopefully, we get to see some of the young pitching they've been developing. Hopefully, that young pitching stays healthy. They've added some familiar faces and guys like Scope and Crone. Um, they should be better, more professional, but just talent-wise, they're, they're a long ways away. The Royals are in a weird place. Do they hang on to Whit Merrifield? Do they try to capitalize and move one of the most versatile and talented guys? They've got some young guys, but I think we saw last year their bullpen was their undoing, um, and they just don't have, they didn't have the depth. They play a different style, which makes them a tough out, so it's never an easy night at the office. Um, but those are teams that if you're the Twins and you have designs on postseason success the way they do, you have to beat them. Chicago did spend money, and they have a ton of talent. They've had talent. They have weird pieces. The question in my mind is always, can they put the pieces together developmentally for a collective good? And I haven't seen it in the last 13 years. Um, the talent's there. Some exciting talent. I think they're going to be a hot and cold team. When you see them and they're right, they're going to be really tough, and there are going to be days where they look young and inexperienced. And I think it's silly to write off Cleveland. I don't know what's going to happen with Lindor, but for now he's a Cleveland player, and he's one of the best players in all of baseball. Jose Ramirez, we found Jose Ramirez about a month or two into the season last year. So you have two elite players already in your lineup and really good starting pitching, even without Corey Kluber and a pretty good bullpen. And a track record that says when we lose starting pitching, we've got more coming. Uh, they just have done such a great, consistent job of developing pitching that you'd be silly to rule them out. And I think that uh, you can't sleep on them. If you think Cleveland's done and their window is shut, um, I think that they will hurt you. Um, but for my money, if you want to stack up talent, the Twins have every right to believe they can can repeat as division champs. I think their goals are a little higher than that, but you can't achieve the secondary goals if you don't win the division first. So um, it's a long season. You've got to stay healthy. You've got to actually go out and execute. But the pieces are in place. Uh, Rocco has the tools now at his disposal. It's a matter of just playing. All right, Chris, I want to thank you for uh, hopping on and, giving us some knowledge. Uh, It's always fun to talk. Uh, We'll have to do this again sometime. All right. My absolute pleasure. And I'll uh, I'll see you at the ballpark sometime this summer, all right? Yep. Sounds good.
That was Chris Atterbury of the Twins Radio Network. Um, my next guest is uh, Phil Miller of the Star Tribune. He will be talking some more twins as you can kind of guess we're doing a lot of twins. I'm getting really excited for the twins to start in a couple weeks. And uh, so I, I got quite a few twins guests on the show tonight. So uh, here's Phil Miller. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is from the Star Tribune, Twins beat writer, Phil Miller. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Phil on and we'll get to it. Phil, how's it going? Good, Travis. Uh, another 10 days till spring training, so uh, I'm already starting to warm up. Yeah, uh, when are you guys going down? Uh, Lavelle goes down to, uh, to open the Star Tribune condo, uh, oh, like the 5th of, uh, of February and I follow about three days later. So, uh, um, yeah, another week and a half, uh, and, uh, it'll be all baseball all the time. That's exciting news to hear. Um, my first question for you is, uh, has to be on most Twins fans' uh, minds, uh, what was your thoughts on the Josh Donaldson signing? It, it took some curves here and there, but it, it, they got it done. What was your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I guess uh, I was uh, mostly surprised, like everybody, that uh, that they go into the off season and say we're going to do everything we can to get pitching, and uh, it turns out that they're big expense is a uh, is a third baseman uh, that it uh, but it makes sense on uh, a lot of levels uh, the biggest one being that they couldn't get the pitching that they wanted so they um, decided that the uh, the other way to cut down on runs allowed is with defense uh, Miguel Sano maybe uh, a bit of a liability at third base the numbers say he was uh, he was really hurting them I uh, feel bad for Kyle Gibson uh, who uh, a ground ball pitcher uh, who had a, kind of a subpar defense behind him, but uh, they've upgraded that. Um, and, you know, and Donaldson makes the lineup, uh, you know, you never know uh, if everyone can have the same kind of years they had last year, but boy, on paper, uh, this looks like uh, the best lineup the twins have ever had. Um, looking at uh, the division, I want to ask you, do you think Cleveland can, can can hang with the Twins and uh, Chicago made spent quite a bit of money too. Uh, how would you break down the AL Central? Uh, I'm not sure Cleveland wants to. I think is the problem. Uh, they don't seem to uh, they, they don't seem to be adding to their team, and in fact, they seem to continue to be subtracting uh, uh, from it. And you keep hearing about uh, Francisco Lindor, uh, who's coming up on free agency, being being the next one uh, to uh, depart, it, it doesn't look now like they're going to do that before spring training. But 
those rumors aren't going to go away all year, especially if the Indians drop out of contention uh, or uh, or uh, don't even uh, or don't look like a uh, legitimate contender. I, the Indians are convinced they need to move Lindor because they're not going to sign him up for whatever reason. It uh, doesn't make much sense, but uh, um, I think the Indians seem to be crippling themselves. Um, the White Sox are a little more scary because you can see the outlines of a, a good team uh, um, in Chicago before they even uh, made some moves uh, this off season. Uh, I, I think uh, they feel like the Twins did a couple of years ago. They've got some uh, young uh, players coming up, particularly young pitching. Um, they are somebody that uh, I, I would guess are still a year off, but you at least have to like that they are um, – making significant progress. I, I, I think they are, they're going to be the twins, uh, chief rival, uh, if not this year, certainly the next two or three years. Um, the Royals are kind of starting over, although, um, uh, you know, bringing back, uh, um, their, uh, fielder, Alex, uh, help me, Alex, uh, Alex um, Gordon. Gordon, uh, seems like, uh, an odd move to make, uh, but um, for for a rebuilding team, but um, they're kind of starting over, um, and uh, I I really don't see any uh, any competition for the Twins from anyone but the White Sox uh, in the next couple of years. Uh, the, the Tigers are signing Twins castoffs. That doesn't seem like a, <laughs> a good way to build either. Yeah, um, I was wondering the. The the problem, maybe not a problem, but the question in the, in the room is pitching, not so much the bullpen, but uh, the starting rotation with uh, Michael Pineda going to miss 30, 35 games, whatever it is, and uh, Rich Hill not going to be available till June or July. Do the Twins need need to add some pitching or do you think this will work out? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, it's coming down to the kids that, uh, that have looked good in flashes. I mean, uh, after his first couple of starts in the big leagues, you would have said Devin Smeltzer maybe, uh, belongs here full time. Well, now he's going to probably get a chance. I would imagine he's going to make the team. Um, you know, it's a matter of recapturing uh, what he did uh, last year. Uh, you know, one problem young guys always have is that uh, teams come up and they don't really know much about uh, about you. And, uh, you know, it makes it a little easier at first. Then uh, scouts develop a book on you and and uh, you have to adjust. We'll see if he's up to that. Same with uh, Randy Dobnak, uh, who uh, I – you know, it seems to understand that. Talked a lot uh, this winter about um, about how he is trying to develop a new pitch, how he's trying to do a few different things to uh, to stay ahead of uh, the hitters. The adjustments that he knows are coming. Can those guys uh, fill out the rotation for uh, for the first month, uh, a month or two? Maybe uh, we'll see how. Uh, Spring training goes. It, it is the big looming question about the Twins. One other uh, disadvantage that they have is last year they had uh, 
five off days in the first 15 days of the season. This year, um, they open with eight consecutive games and 14 in the first 15 days. So um, they're going to need their starting pitching. Uh, it, it'll be a big challenge. Uh, I'd be interested to see if they try some openers and uh, and try some different things. Uh, you know, they've used 20-some pitchers in each of the last three or four years, and I think they're, they're uh, going to uh, go through their entire AAA staff as well. Um, a guy I was curious about if you thought he would make the opening day roster uh the bullpen, uh, Ruzar Gratteral. Do you see him making the team out of spring training? I did not when the season ended. I do now. Uh, at, at the end of the season, I, I, I thought, and especially because of their shortage of uh, starting pitching, that uh, he is the most heralded starting pitcher in their system since, man, you got to go back a ways, Matt Garza maybe, uh, somebody like that. Um, he uh, throws 100 miles per hour, uh, but uh, this winter it's become clear, and it was really clear at Twins Fest this weekend, the feeling around the Twins is he's already had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago. You know, he missed a month and a half, two months uh, this summer with a shoulder impingement. I think the Twins feel like his violent delivery, he has kind of a little whip action on the end of his delivery that that gives him that velocity. I'm convinced now that the Twins' feeling is that uh, he's going to break down, that he is an injury risk at some point uh, going forward, and that uh, if if there's only a certain number of innings uh, in him uh, at, at 100 miles an hour at his peak effectiveness – they might as well get them now in the major leagues, and that means uh, as a reliever. So, you know, it's possible that, that it won't happen, but uh, um, they just think an inning at a time is the way to go with him. Uh, so you uh, you have to, uh, you know, appreciate the research they've put into this. And uh, uh, Derek Falvey uh, told me he knows what a valuable asset uh, a guy like that is as a starting pitcher if you can uh, – if you can find one that are one that's durable enough to hold up, they just um, reading between the lines and talking to them. They just don't think he's going to. So uh, he's going to be a reliever. If he's going to pitch one inning at a time, he's already shown he can do that in the majors. So uh, yeah, I think he is going to uh, make the major league team and uh, for the next two or three years, as long as he stays healthy and perhaps evolve into a late inning guy. I know that he certainly would like that to happen. Uh, he he's uh, he's kind of a modest kid, but he, you can tell he likes the idea of being uh, of being a closer. Um, do you uh, see uh, any extensions happening this spring, like maybe a Jose Barrios or Byron Buxton? Well, there were sure a lot of guys that would want it to happen. There was sure a lot of talk of that. Eddie Rosario made it clear that. Uh, that he's he's ready and waiting, but uh, the Twins never call. Uh, Jose Barreos has made it clear over the past several years that uh, that he wants uh, a contract. Um, that, you know, Barreos is going to arbitration uh, in, mm-hmm. in hopes of uh, extending his. Uh, it, it, they're really only uh, uh, the filing difference is only four hundred thousand uh, uh, dollars, but. Uh, 
he uh, his he and his agent want to uh, set a precedent for the union that to kind of raise the price. But Jose has made it clear that uh, he wants a uh, bigger contract. I think that Twins run a bit of a risk uh, of alienating uh, their their best starting pitcher if they uh, they don't open talks. But they tried last year and couldn't couldn't find a number that they both agreed on. Buxton, uh, I don't doubt that he would like uh, a long-term contract. I just wonder if there's a number that both sides could agree on. The Twins uh, have to be reticent about guaranteeing, um, you know, $20 million, $25 million uh, like Polanco got on a guy that has really only had one long, one good season, one strong season that, that you'd want to pay for and who has trouble staying uh, healthy. And meanwhile, on Buxton's side, you would say, well, you know, they're going to offer uh, like a third of my value because of that. And why would I, uh, why would I take that when, if I have another strong year like that, his value will just skyrocket. So, um, I, I, I would be really surprised if, uh, if, if there's any middle ground that that both sides would uh, agree to on Buxton, Barreos. I think the Twins probably want to get that done. Jake Odorizzi uh, said, you know, I want to talk to the Twins about a contract during the season, too. He's a free agent uh, again in uh, November. He'd like to talk. It does not seem like any talks are ongoing now. Uh, the only one that um, Thad Levine mentioned uh, that they've had talks with lately is uh, Nelson Cruz, and I, I would imagine that's uh, only for another one-year deal. So, I don't see any uh, long-term extensions uh, on the horizon. And as soon as I say that, of course, they'll probably announce one later today. But that's my <laughs> feeling right now. Um, what was your uh, feeling on the Twins Hall of Fame and Justin Morneau getting elected this year? I'm awfully happy for him. Anybody who's uh, been around the team knows uh, what a great uh, what a great person uh, Justin Morneau uh, was. Uh, um, he uh, as a as a writer, as someone who has to talk to these guys, uh, as someone who uh, covered some bad years. Uh, although there weren't many with Morneau, uh, he was immensely valuable to us because he um, he was level headed, would not get. Uh, um, was always personable with us and would discuss big picture issues, would discuss the mood of the team, would discuss the future of the team. And a lot of players uh, aren't qualified or aren't willing to do that. And Justin always was. So uh, he was a great player on the field as well. Obviously uh, he won an MVP and a lot of people think he'd have won another one without uh, the concussion he suffered. Uh, he was having maybe his best year ever when he, and he got hit in the head in Toronto, um, so uh, mm-hmm. just, just happy for him. Um, he uh, wants to be around the team. He's going to do quite a few more uh, uh, games, uh, uh, telecasts uh, this year. I just think he's uh, great for the organization to have around and uh, and is well-deserving. Um, back to the pitching, um, what's your thoughts on, on the bullpen? It's funny, you talk about this team and it always comes back to the pitching, doesn't it? Uh, you talk about the home <laughs> runs and it's back to the pitching. You talk about uh, the contracts and it's always back to the pitching. It really is a 
something that the Twins are going to, they're not going to be able to escape this year. Um, the bullpen has really been strengthened. Um, it, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, just Gratterall himself, uh, if, uh, if he's healthy, uh, I mean, he looked in September uh, like, a, like a veteran. I think they're really going to be uh, um, happy with him. I, I think uh, Fernando Romero sounded uh, pretty de- at uh, Twins Fest to uh, have a uh, have a good year, get kind of get his career back on track. He has worked to uh, develop another pitch, and he thinks he is uh, um, he thinks he's ready. Uh, you know, it, it's funny to think back about the. Two, uh, his first two starts in the big leagues, he didn't allow a run, and there was uh, such a hysteria about him. And it's it's a little odd that uh, how his career has gone, but uh, um, he he knows that he's uh, been a little off track, uh, and he's ready to get back to that. And the, you know, and then you got the core guys, uh, uh, Taylor Rogers and uh, Trevor May. Um, yeah, um, I, I'm really interested in seeing how uh, the league adjusts to Taylor Rogers and and how he does uh, as well uh, to counter that. Uh, he was so effective last year that you don't often see a left-handed uh, a left-handed closer who doesn't have 100 mile an hour stuff, but uh, he made it work. And uh, let's see, oh, who they they added. Uh, 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 Tyler Clifford this year too, who, who uh, yeah. is uh, is right-handed but is most effective against left-handed hitters. Um, I, I think he is going to be a, he is a good match for the new rule about uh, relievers have to pitch to at least three batters before you can remove them. That that rule becomes mm-hmm. effective this year, and Clifford is a guy that, uh, that you can put out there, and even if a team pinch hits against them, even if a team uh, um, puts up a left-handed hitter or, or have left-handed hitters coming up, he should be effective against them. He's bounced around a lot. He's, he's uh, uh, kind of a veteran, you know. He's, uh, he's, he's uh, what is he, uh, about uh, 35 probably, something like that. But I think uh, he's a good addition. I, I think the Twins' bullpen um, will not be the nagging problem that it was so often last year. Um, last question, then I'll let you go. Um, what uh, what projection would you give the Twins to going into the season? Are they uh, can they match their win win loss record from last year, or is it going to be more of a struggle? Well, I don't know about a struggle because I I don't. I, I don't think the division is going to be uh, much this year, and they get to play those uh, those teams uh, what eighty some times. So uh, I, I don't think it'll be uh, a struggle for them. That, that said, a hundred and one wins. You know, it's uh, there's a reason that uh, they've only reached that twice in their history. It's hard to do. Uh, I, mm-hmm. you know, everything went pretty well for them in the lineup last year. Um, well, with the with the exception of uh, Buxton's uh, repeated injuries, but um, I will be interested to see if they can approach 300 home runs again. That uh, I mean, this team is built on home runs. Uh, if the ball is not juiced as much this year, uh, that could be a uh, um, 
that could be kind of a stumbling point and, and be a, a story that we have to follow uh, this year. I'll say I do think it's a favorite to win the division, and I, and I think it's a, oh, probably about a 40% chance that they win it by 10 games. Um, so I I like their chances, but um, you know, 98 wins will probably get it done as well. Uh, I, 101, boy, that was a kind of a magical run there at the end. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Phil, I want to thank you for making the time. Uh, it's always good to talk, and uh, we'll have to talk again this summer. Okay, Travis, come on down to Fort Myers. Uh, we can uh, talk down there, too. You uh, you really should get out of the cold. Uh, that sounds like a plan. All right. Take care. That was Phil Miller of the Star Tribune, who is just about ready to go down to Fort Myers to get ready for spring training. I wish I could could go down to Fort Myers. Uh, everyone that does go down there, I'm jealous. And uh, I think that would that's on my bucket list and. Hopefully someday I am able to to do it. Well, next our next guest is uh, we're gonna go into the minor leagues a little bit. Uh, the Rod Rochester Red Wings uh, radio voice uh, Josh Wetzel. He uh, been there eighteen years, so he knows. Everything about the Red Rochester Red Wings. So uh, here's Josh. I wanted to start out talking about the the Buffalo Bulls college basketball okay. team. Uh, are are you still uh, doing the play by play? I am. Yeah. Okay, I, I just want to make sure of that. Um, yep. You guys are. I, I see you guys are fourteen and four, four fourteen and seven. Uh, yep. Third place in uh, MAC East. How's the season going? It's been up and down. I, you know, it's a much different group this year without a lot of the really good players they had uh, the last couple of years when they went to the NCAA tournament. New coach this year, although he had been an assistant coach with the previous head coach, uh, but there is still a lot of talent on the team and uh, you just never quite know what you're going to get on a nightly basis this year with them. But that's kind of the way the Mid-American Conference has been as well. I think that's probably one of the most competitive conferences in the country right now with uh, really a situation where I think legitimately any team in the league can beat any other team in the league in a given game. So it's one of the more exciting conferences in the country from that perspective. And uh, Buffalo has played, I would say, overall a little bit better lately maybe than they played earlier in the year. So if they can continue to be uh, consistent like that, I think they'll have probably as good a shot as anybody once the conference tournament rolls around. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, do you think they have a good shot to to represent the, the MAC in the NCAA tournament? Well, I think they'll probably have as good a shot as anybody. I think – 
know, they're probably not going to wind up being the number one seed in the, the tournament like they have been uh, recently a couple of times. But uh, really, the, the talent difference from team to team in the MAC just isn't nearly what it has been. You know, the last couple of years, Buffalo was clearly the most talented uh, program in the league. Uh, I think the, the level uh, is, is much more even this year in the MAC. Uh, for better or worse. And uh, yeah, once the conference tournament rolls around, I think legitimately just about anything can happen. So it'd be cool if they do win though, because uh, I believe the Mac has never had somebody win the conference tournament three straight years. So if Buffalo would accomplish that, it would be the first time it's ever happened. Wow. That's exciting. Uh, Who are some of the the leading uh, players on the team? Uh, Javon Graves is the leading scorer, a guy who's from LeBron James High School in the Akron area, scoring about 16 or 17 points a game. Uh, Maybe the best player on the team is a senior point guard, Devontae Jordan, who's uh, averaging probably 13 a game with about five and a half assists a game and is one of the better defensive guards in the country. And uh, they've got a kid from here in Rochester, Jonathan Williams, that has really come on as a sophomore. And then a kid who transferred from Texas Tech, Josh Mbala, who's a 6'7 or 6'8 sophomore forward, he's having a pretty nice season. So I would say those are those are probably the, the names that uh, jump out, first of all. Um, what do the Bulls need to do to uh, be ready for tournament time? Something they <laughs> need to probably, improve. Yeah, I would say probably if you're going to pin it down on one thing, it would just be consistently playing better defense from game to game, but uh, just overall consistency is a big thing for them because when they're playing well, I think they they are certainly one of the probably two or three best teams in the league. They just haven't been able to maintain that uh, for 40 minutes that often. But they did a really good job of that their last game, and we'll see if they can keep it going. Are you optimistic about that? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm. I wouldn't say I'm pessimistic about it. I don't know. I, I, I think I'm kind of neutral on it right now. I, I mean, I hope they do it. I, I really, I really do. Um, you know, I, I really like the new head coach, Jim Weitzel, who had been the associate head coach the last four years. I think he's doing a really good job and uh, I would like to see him succeed uh, because I think he would, he would really like if he can keep the program going in the right direction. I think he would like to, to be in Buffalo for a lot of years, which would, which would be pretty cool for the program. I think. Is would you say Buffalo is the the class of not not so much this year, but in the last four or five years, the class of the MAC? Yeah, no, there. I mean, there's no question about it. Yeah, they've you know they've gone to the NCAA tournament back to back years, four of the last five. Last year they won 32 games, which was easily the most uh, wins a team from the MAC has ever had. And we're in a position if they had not won the conference tournament they would have gotten an at-large bid and, and no team from the Mac has gotten an at-large bid since 1999. So yeah, I the last four or five years, absolutely. They've been the class of the league and um, they're in a pretty good p- position right now. I think. Is it, is it easy to uh, recruit to Buffalo or is, is, is that always going to be a challenge? I think, uh, I think probably any mid-major coach would tell you it's a challenge recruiting there because you know you're not necessarily going for the most highly recruited guys in the country so you've you've got to be a little bit more creative uh maybe trying to get some transfers from high majors 
exploring the junior college option or or just doing a better job of evaluating high school players, which has actually come into play a little bit with Buffalo where they've gotten some guys that were better players than people realize coming out of high school. Uh, as far as in comparison to other places in the MAC, I think Buffalo is actually in a pretty good position because they have pretty good facilities. And while they don't have as much tradition going back beyond the last number of years, most recently, yeah, they've, they've been the, the class of the league, which helps them out. They've played typically a stronger non-conference schedule than a lot of the other programs in the MAC, which I think the players like, you know, getting a chance to play at some, some cool venues is, is pretty neat for them. And, and also again, in comparison to some of the other programs in the mid American conference, uh, Buffalo is a, a bigger city. You know, there's just, I think a lot of these kids are coming from uh, big metro areas in many cases and uh, going to someplace like Oxford, Ohio, no, no knock on that, but Oxford, Ohio would be a, a little bit of a shock to their system rather than Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo, people like to knock the weather and the weather's not great, obviously in the winter, but the coaches like to point out, Hey, in the winter, you're not going to be running around anyway. You're going to be in the gym all the time. So it doesn't matter that much. So I think Buffalo does have a lot of, of positives going their way in comparison to some of the other programs in the Mac right now. Um, for my listeners that, that don't know the Mac, what, what kind of league is that generally? I, you know, it's very competitive in basketball. Um, you know, it's a, one of the unique things about it in basketball is that it is the only conference in the country that still has two divisions. Uh, there are a number of conferences in the country that still have divisions in football, but they've all gotten away from that in basketball, except for the mid American conference. You know, it's been a, it gets a lot of coverage in the football season because they play a lot of weeknight games. They get on ESPN and they've had a number of players that have gone on to the NFL and, they typically have a lot of high-scoring games midweek, which are which are fun. Uh, basketball doesn't maybe get quite as much attention at the moment because they're not on uh, national TV and quite as prominent of time slots as they are in football. But it's a fun league, and uh, and uh, right now I think they've had more quote-unquote close games in league play than all but maybe one conference in the country because everybody is is so tightly contested. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a fun league. Um, let, let, let's jump ahead, uh, talk about the, the Red Wings. Um, yeah. They uh, have a, a, a new head coach in, in Toby Gardenhire. Uh, what was your reaction when, when that was announced? I was excited to hear it was going to be Toby because he, he played here in 2010 and 2011, and then was also a coach here for about half of the, I think it was the 2017 season. So I know Toby pretty well. I like him a lot. I think he's going to do a really good job. Uh, you know, he's, he's younger for a manager at this level now at 37 years old. And I think uh, that might help him a little bit because he's maybe still pretty excited about the whole managing thing. And, you know, it hasn't been managing forever, but but I'm really excited. I think he's uh, I think he's going to do a really good job. I think, obviously, the Twins front office thinks very highly of him to move him to this level already, and uh, I'm looking forward to the season. Um, I wanted to get your impression. Is the International League, are they 
on the chopping block like uh, the Midwest League is, or are are are, are the cities pretty safe when it no, comes I think, to yeah, uh, I mean, contraction? Yeah, I, you know who knows what's going to happen in that whole deal, but uh, I think I, I would be very surprised if the International League was affected too much. Let me, I would say this: the fourteen cities that have teams in the league are not going to lose their teams. Now, whether they stay in the international league or, or whatever winds up happening, who knows? I mean, that's all completely up in the air right now. And it would be nothing but speculation uh, on my part, but you know, it seems to be that most of the, most of the, uh, the teams that maybe could be in some trouble are in, are in smaller communities. And, uh, you know, personally, I hope it never happens, but uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I think there are a lot of moving parts to that and, uh, obviously, a lot of uh, hurt feelings at the moment, so uh, we'll wait, have to wait and see. And I just, I just hope that everything turns out for the best. Um, how long have you been with the Red Wings? Well, the 2020 season will wind up being my 18th. What is some of your fondest memories of being with the Red Wings? Uh, there, I mean, there are a lot of them. Uh, most of them, I think, have to do with not necessarily specific moments, but just relationships you, that I've built with different coaches and players and managers that have come through here over the last number of years. Um, you know, honestly, the first few years since I was new to AAA myself probably were the most fun, and, and we had a lot of really terrific players come through here at that time, like Justin Morneau is going to be going into the Twins Hall of Fame, of course. Uh, Francisco Liriano came through here in 2005 and was just incredible. I mean, the the 2005 Francisco Liriano games that he pitched probably stand out the most because he was so dominant. It was so clear that he was going to be a great pitcher in the big leagues. And and the Red Wings were literally, literally drawing a lot more fans than the games that he was pitching at home, which is pretty unusual in minor league baseball to see. Um, to see the fans that plugged into the fact that this guy's really good and we need to come out and watch him when he pitches. So that was, that was really good, but the playoff seasons have been memorable like 2006, uh, 2013. Uh, There've been a lot of good moments and a lot of really good players have come through here. And I think most of those uh, memories for me are kind of tied into the particular players that have, that have done really well, not necessarily specific moments, but just having the chance to watch those guys play well at this level before then going up to the big leagues and, and, and getting a chance to perform there. Is it challenging? Uh, I know, uh, who do you guys ha- have before the Twins? They were affiliated with the Orioles for like 42 years. I happened to come in here the the first year, coincidentally, that the Twins uh, were coming oh, to Rochester. Okay. So I've, okay. I've only known the Twins as an affiliate here in Rochester. Okay, I wasn't sure about that. Um, yeah. How has that relationship expanded and 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 grown through the years in in your mind? Well, I don't I don't know a, a great answer to that. I think uh, it's always been a very good relationship, and uh, like I say, a lot of players have come through here that have gone on to to do well in the major leagues for the Twins and and some other teams. So I think it's it's changed a little bit over the years with the the change in the front office. I mean Terry Ryan. And Bill Smith and Jim Rance, when they were kind of running the show with the Twins, were were more frequent visitors to Rochester than the 
the current front office is, but I think that was maybe more a case of, of just how much of an exception to the rule Terry Ryan and Bill Smith and Jim Rance were the way that they cultivated relationships with their affiliates, I think was, was pretty unique in the, the world of baseball, but you know, it's been a positive one, I think overall. And um, the twins are just the third affiliate that the Red Wings have ever had. I mean, Rochester's had more wow. stability in terms of major league affiliations probably than any minor league franchise in the, in America. So uh, they're not used to really switching franchises around very much. And, and keep in mind that the, the, the Red Wings, when they first came into being in 1928, uh, were affiliated with the St. Louis Cardinals right at the start of, of the current um, kind of minor league structure with major league teams having affiliates. That was kind of all when it was beginning in the, the mid to late 1920s. The Red Wings came to be in 1928, and they were affiliated with the Cardinals until the, the early 60s, and then the Red Wings were with the Orioles from the early 60s through 2002. So the Twins are just the third affiliate that the, uh, the Red Wings have ever had, and, and that's a really unique thing considering how long this franchise has been around. How, how unique would you say that the history of the Red Wings in Rochester has been meaning like the Red Wings have been around for 80 years or whatever it, it ends up being. How how does the the organization put that into context about all the Joe Altabelli and I think that's the name. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, how, how how do you guys uh, honor the the history of the Red Wings? Well, I think we're probably as a franchise more plugged into the history of the the players and the teams that have come through here, probably than most uh, minor league organizations, primarily because there's just so much more of it here. And you know, the Red Wings date back to 1928, but professional baseball has been in Rochester for a lot more years than that. In fact, I think Rochester has continuously had professional baseball longer than maybe any other city in America. So it really is a long history, and and uh, we try to honor a lot of the guys that have come through here and and have played in the big leagues and are in the Hall of Fame now uh, with, with you know, banners and, and things like that. And we're constantly talking about players that have come through here and, and have gone on to have really good major league careers. You know, it was exciting a year ago when Mike Mussina went into the Hall of Fame, a, a former Red Wing. And I think it's something like, oh, wow, something like around 20 to 25 players are in the Hall of Fame that, that played for Rochester at one point or another. So I think our front office is very cognizant of that fact and, and really tries to play it up as often as we can. And I think a lot of the hardcore fans that we have are very tuned into that as well, which is, is probably a, a little bit unique compared to a lot of the other minor league organizations out there. Josh, it was wonderful to get to talk to you again. Uh, uh, I can't wait for another year of the Red Wings. Uh, it's always fun to follow how they're doing, and and uh, good luck with with uh, the Bulls as they get into the tournament time. Uh, and thanks for making the time for me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it too. Hopefully it should be a good year, and I'm looking forward to it. All right. 
Thanks a lot. Uh, you have a good night. You too. Bye.